Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Kings chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2. Uh, I'm excited about today's message. I will tell you in advance, this is a teachy message. It's a teachy message. Uh, so sit back and kind of put your thinking cap on and be ready to receive that sort of a word. Um, this word is not a fast food drive through word where you, you know, you go up to window one and then you window two and you got your baggie and you go home and you scarf it down while you're driving home. This meal that you're about to eat is a crockpot meal, okay? And we're going to put it on low and on simmer, and we're just going to let this thing marinate for a couple weeks, all right? So I'm going to preach part one this week, and then I'm going to kind of do a part two when I get back from Jordan in a couple of weeks. So 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, this is what the word of the Lord says. It says, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And Elisha replied, you have asked a difficult thing. Elijah said, if you, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. I marvel at this, this thought of double portion. And I also marvel at the thought of Elisha's um, wherewithal or mindset of thinking and, and really his boldness, his audacity. To, to, to see the life of Elijah and all the miracles and all the amazing things and then to say, you know what, everything that God did through you, I want to double it. It'd be like somebody coming up to, to uh, Billy Graham and saying, hey, Billy Graham, great job, but I want double what God did through you. It's a pretty bold ask, and Elijah wasn't threatened by it, but what I want to hone in on is, is Elisha's ability to do this. He asked for a double portion, not of Elijah's influence, not of Elijah's wealth, um, not of Elijah's followers. He asked for a double portion of the Spirit of God that was resting on Elijah. And it really made me begin to think how many times I ask for double. Um, I ask for, I want, I, I like double meat on my Chipotle, you know? I like double espresso. <laughs> so a lot of times I am, I'm asking for things to double for myself or in my life, or maybe sometimes we're bold enough to ask God the Jabez prayer, enlarge my territory, you know, God bless me and increase my territory. And none of those things are bad prayers, and I, I'm not here to say that. But this story really made me stop and think, when was the last time I, la I asked God for a double portion of anointing? When was the last time I asked God, not for a double portion of anything in the natural but to ask God for something to be doubled in the supernatural. And what I think is that God takes us through a lot of destinations through our life, but I think the places that God wants to take us to spiritually far outweigh the places that he wants us to take us to in the natural. And so Elijah, Elisha, I believe that, that, Josh, that, that, that God gave Elisha a, a, um, a vision of doubling something. 
It's like Elisha had double vision. Um, he had the ability to see in the natural. He had that vision. But he, he had what many of us rarely step into. He had the ability to step in and have a vision of the supernatural. And he could see both. He could see the natural and he could see the supernatural. And he, and he had this ability to, to do both. Uh, I told the nine I was reminded of that, that scene. All the, all the fellows are like this in, in, in Rocky whenever he's fighting. And he comes over to the side and he's like, what's going on? And, and Rocky says, I see three of them. And his trainer says, hit the one in the middle. <laughs> like that, that idea that when you get rattled, you see two things. And, and Elisha had the ability to see double. And I want to see double. I, I want to see what God's doing in my life in the natural, but also want to see what God's doing in the supernatural. And if you go back and record and, and follow all of the miracles that Elijah did and all the miracles that Elisha did, Elijah performed eight miracles. Elisha performed 16 miracles. So God gave him a double portion, a double portion. And I want us to lean in this, to this today. And again, we're just going to do a crockpot message, and we're just going to let this thing simmer for a little, a little while. But I want to ask you, when was the last time that you asked God for a double portion of his spirit? And what would it look like to receive a double portion of his spirit? What does that even mean? And so the title of my message today is, God, give me double vision. Give me double vision. Elisha had this, had this ability, again, I'll talk about this next time I preach on this, on this topic. Remember the story when, when Elisha is with his servant and his servant starts panicking because the enemy has surrounded them? And Elisha says, God, Lord, give him, open his eyes so that he may see what I see. And God opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the armies of heaven had surrounded the armies. Elisha had double vision. Elisha's like, yeah, I see the enemy, but I got another vision in the supernatural that the enemy is surrounded by the armies of, of a living God. And so we need to have this ability as Christ followers, especially in this day and age, guys, when everything in one vision is really terrifying, we got to be able to step back and have double vision and have a double vision and ask God to give us a supernatural provision of a different kind of vision, a, a double portion of this vision to outweigh the vision of the world that's around us. Um, six years prior to this moment that, that, that Elisha has the, the boldness to ask this, uh, scholars and theologians and historians believe that it was approximately six years prior to this that Elijah come walking along and Elisha was plowing his fields and Elijah threw his mantle over Elisha and didn't say a word, just kept walking. Now this mantle, it was a jacket or a blanket of sorts that they would wear, it represented his legacy. It represented all that God had done through him. It was an inheritance. It was an anointing. And what he was saying is, I want to take what God has done through me, and I want to project it onto you. I want, to, I, want, I want the generation, I want the anointing that's on my generation to be upon your generation. And it was, it was a generational thing. And so, God, and so Elisha came alongside him and for six years. Now, you know, how did Elisha, I'm going to take just a quick sidestep here to, to explain something. How, why, why double? Why did Elisha ask for a double portion? Well, you have to understand that, that Jewish element. You know, in, in Jewish tradition, the firstborn would get a double portion. All the other siblings would get a portion of the inheritance, but the firstborn would get a double portion, twice the amount as anybody else. And so he asked for this double portion. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, John, I'm not Jewish, so how does this apply to me? <laughs> well, I want to I kind of tie something here real quickly. Uh, because as, as Gentiles, if you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile, okay? 
But as Gentiles, the word promises us that we have been grafted in to the olive tree of the Jewish tradition and the olive tree of the Jewish promises that have come down from God to his people, the Jewish people. So in Romans chapter 11, verse 7, it says, but some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you, Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. So when we were in Israel last time, uh, we were walking through the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's just tons of olive trees in there. And our tour guide was explaining to us that if you walk over to one olive branch, and if you broke off one of the branches, you could actually walk over to a completely different olive tree, drill a hole in the side of it, and stick that branch in the side of it. And that that olive tree would adopt and graft in that branch. And that branch could actually receive nourishment from the roots of that olive tree. And all of the promises that are, that are fruit producing for that tree gets grafted into that branch. We are that branch. Okay? God has grafted us in to this. All right? So what does that mean? It, fast forward to Jesus. Okay? So, so Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus is a Jew. You know? I don't know what church you grew up in, but maybe in the lobby you had a picture of a white Jesus with blue eyes. <laughs> Jesus wasn't a white person right? He was Jewish. <laughs> so, so, so he falls into kind of the same kind of tradition. So Jesus was, the Bible tells us, the firstborn, the onlyborn, the only son of God. Jesus was the firstborn. So he gets this inheritance. So what does this mean for us? Well, let me, let me show you in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. It says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves or orphans. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you you were grafted in as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. If we share uh, in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. So I, I, I took kind of a little detour there to just explain to you and to encourage you and to remind you that you have access. Because some of you may be thinking, well, what nerve do I have to ask God for a double portion? Because you're his son. Because you're his daughter. You, you've been grafted in. So we, we have this beautiful exchange where Jesus, because of Jesus' blood, because of the price bought, we, we have this beautiful exchange where we can exchange shame for acceptance and we can exchange sin for forgiveness. And we've been grafted in and we can boldly come into the presence of the Lord and so I want to inspire you and encourage you and make you think about the process of what would happen if you begin to pray that God would give you a double portion of his spirit. And what would that look like? What would, what would that look like if God gave you an anointing that was double what you thought it could be? Okay? So that's what, what's anointing. Anointing is like a supercharger. So anointing is something that comes on you in a moment that anoints you to do something that far beyond what you could have done in your own ability. So when I became a pastor, I did not, I, I was terrified. I, in fact, when I came on staff at Victory Church, I said, I'll take the job as long as you promise me I'll never have to preach. Because I had never held a microphone, I was terrified of preaching, and I don't believe that this, this preaching thing that I do is me. I believe it's an anointing that comes on me and so what I've thought is, God, what would happen if I asked God to give me a double portion? 
Uh, some of you are, are anointed in counseling. Some of you are anointing in discernment. Some of you are anointed with your hands. You can build, you can, have, you can build things. Whatever it is that God has given you anointing in, God, this is saying we have permission to say, God, I want a double portion. Not for my own benefit, we're gonna go into that, but I want you to use me in, in even, even more amazing ways. And if you still don't believe me, you gotta remember Jesus' words. It's still a verse that shocks me every time I read it. But Jesus told his disciples, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these he will do. Jesus is like, I don't want you to just do what I did. We have problems even understanding how we could do what Jesus did. Jesus is like, you're stopping, you're selling yourself too short. I want you to do greater things than I did. You are co-heirs with Christ. So what would happen if we begin to look past our limitations and look at the limitless, limitlessness of God and say, God, I want a piece of your limitlessness to dwell inside of me. Amen? Again, this is a crock pot. You guys turn it on low. Just let this simmer. All right? Okay, so what can we learn from Elisha? This is what I want to do. I want to unpack this. i got 28 minutes. I'm going to try to hit it uh, in 21 seconds, 21 seconds, 19 seconds. Okay. This is what I'm going to try to hit. So in this story, I want to go, I want to rewind just a couple of verses, and I want to show you what God began to unpack to me in this as I read this story. Elisha and Elijah went to four locations, and I'm going to show you these four locations. They went to four cities or four locations, and what I believe is happening is I studied all of these locations historically through the scriptures, and what each one of these locations symbolized is that these are destinations. These are places that God takes us on a journey for us to step into the full anointing that he has for our life. And I believe that this is somewhat, I'm not saying this is the formula, but I'm saying this, I believe that God is saying something through his scripture to us that I want to try to unpack for you for just the, the little bit we have left here today. So if you can, if you're still in 2 Kings chapter 2, flip all the way back to the first of that chapter. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Okay, 1 through 6 says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha, here comes the first destination, the first place, were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to, here's the second one, Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. <laughs> uh, I like this guy. Verse four, then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to, here's the fourth, third one, Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. And again, the company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know. So be quiet. <laughs> Verse six, then Elijah said to him, stay here. Here comes the fourth one. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. I want to remind you today and try to convince you today that the places God takes you in the spirit are far more important than the places he takes you in the natural. God wants to take you to places in the spirit. And I know that's kind of hard for us because we live, we live our lives in the natural. But I want us to get double vision. God, I see the things you're doing in the natural. 
and the challenges that I'm facing and the jobs that I have, and you have me move houses and move jobs and move this and move that, that's in the natural. But God, where do you want to take me in the spirit? And we need to be able to have bifocals, see two things at once, that I can, be, I can have double vision. I can see this, but I can also see this. So let's, let's, let's look back at these four places. Let me unpack these for you. The first place was in chapter one. It said Elijah and Elisha were on their way from, not to, from Gilgal. So let's look at the first one, Gilgal. So what is Gilgal? If you look back through the history, Gilgal was a place of significance. A lot of things happened in Gilgal. Um, Gilgal was the place where the Israelites crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land. The very first place they came to was Gilgal. That, that became base camp. That's where they stopped. Okay? Um, Gilgal was the place in, in 1 Samuel where uh, Samuel... Uh, where, where, where uh, Samuel was anointed king, or Saul was anointed king by Samuel. That was in Gilgal. It was also the place, a couple of chapters later, where he was renounced as king. So he found his identity, listen to these key words, he found his identity as king in Gilgal, but he also lost his identity in Gilgal. Um, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 19, uh, after, David, after King David's son Absalom mounted a, a revolt, a successful revolt, unsuccessful revolt against David, it was in Gilgal that David was re-anointed as king, re-established as king. Go back, I'm going to re-anoint you, I'm going to give you your identity again. Uh, Gilgal was the place when the children of Israel came across the Jordan River, they, they, they stopped in Gilgal. They set up 12 stones, remember this? Go back into the river, get 12 stones, and stack these stones up as a memorial so that future generations will know that you're home. This is yours, okay? Um, it was the place where the Lord said to, to them, Joshua chapter five, verse nine, part of the whole book I, I, I wrote last year, where he says, today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And then the very next sentence says, and that place has been called Gilgal to this day. So it was a place of identity. Gilgal was a place of identity with the father or in the father, okay? So, so he was saying to them, hey, you, got, you used to be slaves. Your, your parents were slaves and you spent 40 years behaving like slaves and now that you're in the promised land, you're no longer slaves, you have a new identity and that identity is given to you in this place called Gilgal. Now, Elijah and Elisha, it says that they were coming from Gilgal, I would propose to you today that they were coming from a place of understanding their identity. I believe if we're going to build scaffolding of what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a Christian, I believe that the very foundational base scaffolding, other than our salvation, obviously through Jesus Christ, is our identity in Christ. Now, um, remember, I said this a minute ago, but Gilgal became base camp for the battles. So they came into the promised land and they stopped in Gilgal and then they would leave from Gilgal and they went to Jericho. And then they would go back to base camp and then they would go to AI and they would go back to base camp. If Gilgal is a place of identity, Gilgal, your identity is your base camp. Okay? So you're going to go out and fight a battle and then you may need to go back into your identity in Christ and be reminded of who you are. And then I'm going to go out and fight another battle and then I got to come back and remember that I'm a child of God, I'm not an orphan. And you may come back and forth to Gilgal on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times a day, because when you go out and you fight insecurity, the only way to overcome insecurity is to go back to Gilgal. 
And she'll say, no, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm not an orphan. Uh, you may go out and fight a battle and you, you are overcome with fear. The only way to overcome fear is to go back to Gilgal and no, 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 I'm a child of God. There's nothing to fear, okay? You may, you may go out and fight a battle called rejection and you may have a mother reject you or a father reject you or a boss reject you. And so you, you, you experience rejection. So you must run back to Gilgal and find your identity and find acceptance. So Gilgal is this base camp that we must visit over and over and over and over again. And I believe this was a critical part of their journey. So we must remember who you are, but we also must remember whose we are. Okay? So, so let's look at the second one. The second location they go to is in verse 2. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. And again, Elisha's like, well, if you're going, I'm going with you. You're not going without me. Okay? So the second one is this. Take, if you're taking notes, write down Bethel. So the first stop was a place of identity called Gilgal. Uh, this, this, the second stop was Bethel. Now, Bethel is very famous in the Bible, mentioned over 60 times, uh, 30 specific stories Bethel is involved in. Over and over and over again, Bethel was a hot spot. Uh, Bethel, one of the first times Bethel is mentioned is when Abraham went there in Genesis, and he, he comes into the promised land, and he stops in Bethel, and he builds an altar to the Lord. Uh, he, comes, he leaves and comes back later, a couple chapters later, and builds another altar. He goes down to Egypt, comes all the way back up, and he stops in Bethel again, and he, and he builds another altar. altar. Jacob built an altar in, in Bethel. Um, Jacob is the one who laid down and put his head on a rock and had a dream. Remember this in Sunday school? And he, he had a vision that the door, the, a window opened in heaven and stairs came down. And he woke up and he said, surely the presence of the Lord was in this place and I, and I didn't even know it. Bethel became this place over and over again through scripture where people would come. In fact, Bethel in Hebrew is translated house of God. Okay. So it became a place of home, of belonging. It, it became a place of, you know what, you, you go out, you're doing a lot of stuff, but anytime you, you feel like you're lost and, and of, of who you are, you come back to Bethel and I'll remind you who you are. So if, if Gilgal was a place of identity in the Father, Bethel was a place of intimacy with the Father. Okay? So you, this is so important, and this is why this just jumped off the page at me, because this is, this is so rich in our walk with Christ. We've been talking about this for weeks. And so if you've missed any of this, you've got to go back and listen to this whole series, whole season on who am I. Because two of the main things we've been talking about is identity and intimacy. And when I found that Gilgal represents identity and Bethel represents intimacy, it just confirmed everything for me. So we're going to be in this constant state when we have double vision. We're in the world. The Bible says we're to be in the world, but not of the world. So I gotta have double vision. I gotta be able to see the world and its complications and then and live in the world, but at any given moment, flip over to the other side and say, no, my identity is in Christ and my intimacy is with the Father who loves me and accepts me and receives me. In fact, he's Papa, okay? So I have double vision. The problem with many believers is that we live in the world, so many times we just ended up living of the world. And so what drives us is our mind, our will, and our emotions, our soul. Our soul just drives us. We live in a constant state of emotions, a constant state of thought life and mind and just craziness. And part of the solution, I'm not saying this is a, a fix-all, but I do think it's key to overcoming mental illness in the natural 
is the ability to have double vision and say, I'm going to step out of my emotions for a minute and step back into the truth. I need, I need to go back to Gilgal. I need to go to Bethel and say, no, that is not me. I have double vision. There's another world that's a greater world that I live in where I can go back and find my true identity in Christ. And these are the first two locations that they went to. And I love this. Elisha followed Elijah to a place called the house of God. And you could also look at the flip side. Elijah led Elisha to the house of God. So Elisha followed, Elijah led. Now there's, there's an Elisha in all of us, and there's an Elijah in all of us. There's a follower in you, and there's a leader in you. Okay, we're all called to do both. Elisha was the servant, he was the leader, he was the, he was the one being mentored. Elijah was the leader, he was the mentor. Okay, so to the Elisha in all of us, let me just talk to the Elisha in all of us for a second. Careful who you follow. Proximity matters. Elisha said, I like this guy. I'm not leaving his side. And in fact, sometimes Elijah would say, hey, you stay here. I'm going to go to Bethel. And Elisha's like, uh-uh. I'm not, uh-uh. I'm coming with you. He saw something in Elijah that drew him to him. And, and what I would say, you know, we, we're, we're very um, aware of proximity right now with coronavirus because it was all about distance. You know, don't be in a room, don't be in six feet of somebody for more than 15 minutes or, you know, all of these, all of these rules and all of these things because it was contagious. Can I tell you something? Um, anointing is contagious too. <laughs> My emotions, emotions are contagious. Thinking is contagious. So Elisha, you better be careful. You better be careful. If you spend time around a certain person and for the rest of the day you're grumpy, Elisha, you better stop and be like, hold up, what? who have I been hanging out with? Because proximity matters. It's contagious. Elisha, you need to find an Elijah that leads you to the house of God. Who in my life is leading me towards the spirit of God? And who in my life is leading me towards my mind, my will, and my emotions? Who, do, who am I in proximity with that I leave feeling encouraged and enriched and, and I can take on the world? And then who in my life am I spending time with that's just like, man, we're doomed. <laughs> Stop spending time with, you know, CNN. That anointing's rubbing off on you. I'll be a lightning rod. Stop spending time with Fox News too. They're both toxic. Okay. We may have to edit that part out. Okay. Um, I lived through that, man. Whenever I was in high school, let me talk to the young people for a second. I grew up in as godly of a home as you can possibly grow up in. But when I got to high school, I started playing sports and I started hanging out with people that I shouldn't hang out with. And it didn't matter my proximity to my parents because I put myself in proximity with people who took me down a path where before you knew it, I was partying, I was smoking weed, I was drinking, I was partying in high school. Yeah, your pastor did a little of the poof, poof, puff, puff, give. All right. Transparency, that's right. Bring it to the light. Let the Lord use it as a testimony. Okay, and, and real quick, to all the Elijah, to the Elijah in us, so I spoke to your Elisha, to the Elijah in you, careful where you lead people. Careful before you just spew on people around you. 
Because if you spew something, then that's contagious and they're going to pick it up. And so if, if someone hurts you and you turn around and tell six people how they hurt you, now your hurt has spread to six people. So we're, we're contagious in this way. Um, to the Elijah and all of us, lead people to the house of the Lord. Lead people to Bethel. Make church a priority. Make church a priority. This is a place where we build altars, where God does a work in us. We come with a sacrifice of praise. God speaks to us. And the Elijah in us should be so, you're here for a reason. Either you got dragged here or you're like, man, I, I, there's something here that I like. The Elijah in us should be like, hey, you should come with me. Come with me to the house of God because something great's going to happen here. Okay, the third place they went is in verse 4. Verse 4, it says, Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elijah, and the Lord had, has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. So number three, write down Jericho. So number one, Gilgal was identity. Number two, Bethel was intimacy. And then they go to this place called Jericho. And you could preach this point all by yourself. Jericho can only mean one thing. Jericho can only mean battles. It is the battle of Jericho. Um, but I would go a step further and say that Jericho, and I'm going to unpack why I think this is true. Jericho was a place of battle, yes. But really, for the Israelites, Jericho was a place of surrender. Okay? So if, if Gilgal was a place of identity and Bethel was a place of intimacy, uh, then Jericho was a place of surrender to the Father. So there's three things they surrendered. I believe they surrendered their life. Because when you agreed to go to battle as a warrior, you know what you're doing? You're saying, hey, if I got to give my life for this cause, I will. I'm willing to give up my life. And Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow him. So Jericho was a place of surrender. If you really want a double portion of God's spirit and his anointing, you better get real comfortable with surrendering to the Lord. So they surrendered their life to this cause. This cause was more important than my life. I've got double vision. I see my life in the natural, and I see the kingdom of God in the supernatural. And if I got to pick one or the other, this one's, this one's temporal, this one's eternal. I'll give my life to this. This thing's going to last forever. I want to give my life to the kingdom of God. So they, so they gave their life. The second thing they gave was their plan. <laughs> they surrendered their battle plan because I'm pretty sure... If they got to pick a battle plan, they wouldn't have decided to walk around a wall seven times and then six times and then seven more. They would have come up with a different plan. They would have used spears and swords and, and all those sort of things. And so they surrendered their plan. When's the last time you said, God, here's what I think, but you know what? Instead of you being a vending machine for my plan, how about I just say, what's your plan? What do you want? This is, this is true surrender. This is true surrender saying, God, I got a plan. Because I don't know about y'all, but I had a plan and pastoring wasn't my plan. Like it wasn't even in the cards. When I was growing up as a kid, I was a preacher's kid and people would say, you're going to grow up and be a preacher like your daddy. And I would be like, cuss word? No, I, no I'm not either. I'll say a cuss word just to make sure God doesn't want to use me for that, you know? So you, you must surrender your plan to the Lord say, God, Man, I think my plan's perfect, and it'd be really cool if you just kind of helped me with my plan. But at the same time, God, I, I know that your ways are higher than my ways, and your plans are better than my plans. So it takes surrender. The last thing that they surrendered to Jericho, they surrendered their first. And what I mean by that is the, the, the Lord told, told Joshua to tell the people, hey, when you conquer Jericho, 
Everything's mine. The treasures, the gold, the silver, the cattle, all the plunder, it's mine. Don't take any of it. And then God says, now all the battles in the future, keep it all. Keep it all. You can have, you can have everything else. And so if, even in this story, you're seeing the illustration of the principle of tithing come through, that God wants our first and God wants our best. That's what God wants. And in Jericho, one of, one of them didn't listen and kept some of the plunder for himself. And so they go to the next battle in AI and they lost the battle. They lost because they didn't give God the first. So they go to the next battle and they lose and they had to kind of regroup and say, what happened? They found out that somebody had kept part of the plunder and then they go back to AI and, and they win. So God wants our life, God wants our battle plan and God wants our first. He wants our first. Jericho is a place of sacrifice place of sacrifice. And this is where we get stuck a lot of times. We're cool with the identity thing. And yeah, I'll take a little bit of that intimacy. That sounds great. But when it comes to surrender, ugh, not sure that I really want to do that part. And then they go to this fourth location in, in, in verse six. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. So let's talk about the last one, the Jordan River. So the Jordan River um, is a place of many, many, many miracles. Um, it's, it's a place where God shows up and does miraculous things. In Joshua 3, it's where the Israelites crossed over. We know that story. And uh, they brought the Ark of the Covenant, walked out into the water, and the water stood, stood up, and they walked across on, on dry ground. Uh, this is the place uh, where, where um, uh, Elisha caused an axe head to float, if you remember this story. In the Bible, that's one of, one of the miracles that would happen later. In Second in Kings 5, Elisha told Naaman to go and dip in the Jordan seven times, and you'll be healed of leprosy. So it was a place of healing. It was a place of deliverance. In, in Samuel, um, the Jordan was crossed over to engage the enemy. So, so the Jordan always represented this crossing over. You're here today, but tomorrow you're going to do something great. And then you're going to, you know, it was, this, it was symbolic of, of crossing over. Um, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus was baptized here. This is where Jesus was baptized. And by the way, back up to, to the Jericho one, I, I, would, I would present to you that, that Jesus took a similar path as we're seeing. So when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, he comes up out of the water. The angel, the, the angel of the Lord, the, the, the sky split, the dove appears and says, this is my son, identity, in whom I am well pleased, Intimacy. And the very next verse says, and, and the Holy Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness, Jericho. Jericho. So the Jordan River was this place of breakthrough. Uh, so so if, if Gilgal was the place of identity, Bethel was the place of intimacy, Jericho was, was the place of surrender, the Jordan River was a place of breakthrough by the Father. Now, we get excited about this one. We can hoot and holler on this one. We're quiet on the others, but like, yeah, I like the Jordan River. So here's the challenge. As many times as believers, we stand on the banks of the Jordan River waiting on a breakthrough. And we get mad at God because he's not parting the waters for us. And we're not seeing the breakthrough that we so long for. But what if this is a progression? What if before the breakthrough, God is more concerned about doing something in us before he does something for us? And we're so consumed with the natural side of our life 
for God doing something for us and parting the waters so we can walk through the, through the struggle that we're going through. And God's like, no, I want you to have double vision. I want you to see the Jordan River in front of you, but I also want you to have double vision. I want you to see in the spirit. I want you to see this side of your life. And so some of us are standing at the banks of Jordan River, waiting on God to heal our marriage, waiting on God to heal our sickness, waiting on God to fill in the blank, right? Whatever breakthrough you need. And God may be saying, yeah, but you skipped a step. Can you go back to Bethel? Because it was in Bethel that I wanted you to know how much I love you and how much my intimacy is for you. And you don't have to achieve, you don't have to conquer, you don't have to control, you don't have to manipulate. There's no striving, just rest at home and be in the house of God be present with the Father. Or maybe for some of us, he's like, no, you skipped a step. I need you to go back to Jericho and I need, to surrender. I need you to surrender your plans because you got some plans. And they're not bad plans, but they're not God's plans. So all I'm asking you to do today is to let this simmer. This isn't a fast food message. This isn't like, hear the sermon, come down front, someone lays hands on, to you, hands on you, and it's all good. And we go out shouting and rejoicing. This is a sermon where it's like, okay, this has got some ingredients in it that need to marinate. <laughs> and I need to do some, some soul searching. So I'm just going to kick this thing up to low and let this thing simmer. So in your quiet time, here's what I want you to begin asking yourself. I want them to put this up on the screen. You won't be able to see my face, but you know what I look like. I want you to see this. So let's review what we've said a bunch of times. Gilgal was a place of identity in the Father. I wanted this to be up here, so if some of you want to take a picture of it and, and, and revisit this in your quiet time. Gilgal was a place of identity in the Father. Bethel was a place of intimacy with the Father. Jericho was a place of surrender or sacrifice for the Father or to the Father. And the Jordan River is a place of breakthrough by the Father, okay? And what I want you to do today and over the course of the coming days and weeks, I want you to begin to ask the Holy Spirit, get past your feelings, get double vision, and ask the Holy Spirit to, to answer your question when you ask the Holy Spirit, where am I? Where am I? Because it's important to answer who, who am I? But at certain seasons of our life, when we get double vision, we need to be able to see in the Spirit. Okay, you can take that down, Nicole. You need to be able to see in the Spirit and be able to say, God, where am I? Where am I? I want the boldness of Elisha to say, I want a double portion of the Spirit of God in my life. And I want it so badly that I'm willing to revisit the steps. You know, if you want to get where somebody has gotten, you got to walk the steps someone has walked. I want to retrace the steps, retrace the steps of Elisha and Elijah to say, where did they go? Well, they went to a place of identity. They went to a place of intimacy. They went to a place of surrender. And then they saw an amazing breakthrough. Okay, so, so I want us to, we stand to your feet with me for just a second? I'm gonna give us some space for just a few minutes to, to enter, enter back into just a moment of worship. And what I ask of you is not to get, usually when we, when we stand, we kind of start transitioning in our mind to leaving. I'm gonna ask you not to go there yet. We're, we're ahead of schedule, we're doing fine. And I want us to have a moment where we, where we have uh, intimacy with the Father and be reminded of our identity and our intimacy with the Father. And just to begin the process of you saying, Lord, show me, Lord, where am I, where am I? What is, what is this process, what, is this, what does this journey look like? And then I, I want you to kick it to low and let this crock pot simmer for a couple of weeks, okay? Next week I won't be here, I'll be in Jordan. And that doesn't mean you get to skip church, you should come to church, because John is not the key element of this church, Jesus is, so you should come to church. 
And then the week after that, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna preach part two of this. So I got a part two coming up in a couple of weeks. All right, so let's, let's, just, let's just, will you close your eyes with me for just a second? Can we just say, Holy Spirit, come? We're not in a rush, God. We, we're gonna get out of here in just plenty of time. But for the next few moments, God, we, we ask you to, to come. God, speak to our hearts. Um, give us a, a spiritual GPS to know where we stand. Where am I, God? Where am I? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to, to show me? And in the meantime, God, we cry, holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Thank you that you love us enough to take us on a journey, God. We step into this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.